1: Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode... We don't have episode numbers anymore. We're recording on Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. (laughs) Um, Quite a week in books. Um, The rolling rolling reckoning continues apace um, Mm -hmm. in ways that I think are mostly in the direction that I would prefer them to go. But, boy, there's some ugly stuff to get through and, and bumpy roads uh, ahead here. Uh, I'm Jeff O'Neill. She's Rebecca Shinsky coming to you from bookriot.com. We're going to do some follow-up, and we'll get into the news stories of the day. First thing on the top of the show, there's, we don't do this very often, but there's a giveaway going on right now. I'm going to put the link in the show notes at Book Hosting. It's a current affairs book bundle with a gift card that goes along with it. But the thing that's especially interesting here is one of the books in there is a little, is, is, is a little book by a guy you may have heard of called, his name is Daniel Kahneman. Right. Oh. And it's uh, mm -hmm. one of the books is a copy of his new book. He has co collaborators because he's like a real academic and that's what they do. It's called Noise. And thought you'd like to know about it. There's a link in the show notes under, you go to show notes discussed in this episode. I'll put the link in there. Uh, It'll it'll read something like giveaway for prize pack including Daniel Kahneman's Noise. Go enter that if you'd like um, to check that out. Kind of cool. One can for
0: staff win the Daniel. No, I think Norman that's, that's because... in the terms of
1: conditions, Rebecca, that we cannot award <laughs> ourselves. Oh, look, it's me. I've won the award. Gosh, how yeah. did that
0: happen?
1: Yeah. Um, so go check that out. That comes out, I think in
0: June. May, 18th. Oh, May 18th, I just Googled May 18th. it.
1: We're saying we are entering into, we can feel like the sun warming up for the big season, the book season. Mm-hmm. We got Lahiri's book, um the Bourdain book came out this week. Lahiri's book book I think comes out next week. The new Andy Weir. We've got Kahneman. We've got all sorts of stuff coming out over the next few weeks, which means we're almost ready for our summer preview as our bonus episodes. Get kicked off with our mom's, dad's and grads recommendation show. We still have time to get requests in. I think if you yeah, I think if you email us soon, we're gonna have a great shot to get your recommendation request in. We got some more this week. Um, some interesting stuff there, um, and I think it's you know it's going to be a fun show. But then we got, we're going to do summer preview after that. We're going to be doing um, a reading movies episode. Can we talk? Can we say what we're going to do? We've decided, right? I think we're, we
0: have to. Yeah, yeah. We're, I'm very excited. What are we doing? You've been
1: you've been. Itch- Uh, I was surprised. You're more itchy for this than I am, which is great. But you've been really focused, especially this summer. Tell them why. Tell the people why.
0: Well, we share a love for Field of Dreams based on the book Shoeless Joe. And I think we kicked around doing it last year or maybe like as a possibility Mm -hmm. a couple years ago. But then last summer's baseball season was so abbreviated because of COVID and everything. When we were planning the season, it was like, who knows what we're going to feel like doing. Um, So we saved it. And I have been anxiously waiting i've never read shoeless joe so that'll be fun um i got to visit my parents last week for the first time since the end of 2019 so you're in the
1: midwest so it feels like i was in the
0: midwest and i got to see my brother-in-law who is a sports radio host and i told him we were doing this and he begged to come on he was (laughs) like i'll even read a book (laughs)
1: Listen, I, I don't know this person, but you can't say that you're making a huge concession for a reading movie show by saying <laughs> you're reading. You, you yeah. I'll even stoop to the level of I'll book even, learning.
0: He's like, oh, let me come on and talk about Field of Dreams. And I was like, you know what? This is a Shinsky O'Neill joint. I'm sorry.
1: Um, get your own pod. Hashtag get your own podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can. I'll tell him. I'll even come on there and talk about baseball. Let's
1: um, Came out in 1989. I was 11 years old. I collected mm-hmm. baseball cards, played baseball in the Corn Belt. Like it was, like it wasn't direct. It was, I think the the core audience for Field of Dreams were people Kevin Costner's age in the movie, like my dad, who was 37 so, yes. at the time. But it was a, a, a four quadrant movie and kids and grandparents and men and women and you know all, all the things that were a hit. Don't see movies like that. We'll talk about in the show. You don't see movies like Field <laughs> of Dreams anymore. Um, one of my, favorite movies it's warm enough we had a warm enough day here that i could have watched it with like the windows open and the crickets oh. chirping and doing all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff It doesn't get humid enough here to really have that full like midwestern in the middle of a cornfield of experience but you know maybe i could boil some water and heat up the kitchen <laughs> or something like that get a nice get a nice yeah, mug on
0: I, I have a little summer ritual with it where i usually wait until like late june and it's it's that it'll be like a saturday afternoon mm-hmm. the light mm-hmm. is right the windows are open, yeah, crickets are doing their thing. I wait until like, the sun starts. You really to
1: down. do need to watch it at golden hour i 've watched I have watched before the director 's commentary and how like so much of that movie is shot at Golden Hour in the morning mm-hmm. and in the evening, but they have like thirty minutes of light twice a day yeah. <laughs> to do it so it 's like Kevin, stand right there don 't screw up your Quick. lines. We got twenty <laughs> minutes to get the light exactly right, so you really need to watch it. Yeah, well, it gets late. I mean, I here think, I have to like nine yeah. o'clock at night to get the right. right light. I
0: think if you, yeah, if you started at eight, yeah, you're in a good position. Right,
1: because then you need to end it when it's dark, because then you need the mm-hmm. headlights coming down the the thing yeah. at the end. Spoiler alert! And it's, it's easier for movie, the guess. the
0: gentle crying in the dark.
1: <laughs> Moonlight, Graham. Um. <laughs> so watch out for that. Looking for looking to forward that to that, that. So if you want to watch or read that, um. Or both do that. I have read the book, but it's been a million years. Did I ever tell you I once collected baseball books? I know it's going to be surprised to you that I collected books, but I not I, I collected I, and read, read books think... about baseball um, as a young, pr- probably right around this age. I started reading um, uh, the glory of their times about the you know the early days of baseball and mm-hmm. you know a lot of the great Lawrence S. Ritter's um, great book about the early days of baseball. Um, yeah anyway looking forward to that it's one of those I, I love to do but then then once we've done it we've done it that's the pro. that's the problem with this so it's like well you know, I
0: know I think you know this is like the third year that we will have done some of these you know. reading movies or book nerd movie club episodes and we didn't let ourselves do it the first year even though this was this has been high on the list we gotta dole mutual, them out slowly mutual faves yeah. Yeah. yeah someday we'll do a river run I mean it.
1: that's <laughs> the one hey, listen okay <laughs>
0: Like some early September.
1: Yeah, yeah, you need you it's a fall. It's a fall mm-hmm. movie up there. okay. Um listener <laughs> feedback. Uh we got a bunch of like I said, mom's and graduations um stuff. Um I I don't know how I missed this because it's a podcast I do listen to from time to time. It's the watch that's a ringer joint, Chris Ryan and Andy mm. Greenwald do host it. It's about TV primarily. But they did a lonesome dove read along in the spring.
0: Oh. oh and
1: right. I, I Well then
0: I'm off the hook.
1: We're off the Well, if you want the read along, I'm gonna go listen to it. I guess they did it over the course they did it as like the second segment of their show, apparently, over a number of weeks. And I haven't gone and actually hmm. looked. And then they did a roundup episode where they put all the segments in one episode so it was all right there for people. Um I don't know why. I don't know usually I only listen I I listen to I've listened to that show over the course of time. But I usually dip in when they're talking about a show, they're on a show that I'm interested in. So they'll be on like right now. They were they're doing Falcon and Winter Soldier each episode mm-hmm. as part of their segment. So I've been on for that. I was on for WandaVision before when I was out. Because I, you know, looking for something to process and as part of my pop culture. Yeah. But if they're not talking about something I'm listen I, I know anything about, then I'm out. So I think it was one of those interregnums they were talking about Lonesome Dove. But it's there. I'll put a link to um, the watch in the show notes. So i had multiple people say, just so you know. If people want that, it's already out there, and they did more of a read along. I think I'm going to listen to it just to see the format. They're they're really smart folks, yeah. um, and I've listened to them a long time. I like, I like that to them.
0: idea. I really like that idea of embedding it into yeah. the, a bigger show right. like that.
1: Yeah. Um, so this is now a podcast about doing a lonesome dove read along <laughs> podcast. Um, I didn't get any consensus about. A form. Some people are saying, no, we, we want to read along where you do four episodes and it's 150 pages. Some people, are like, no, please don't do that. Just do one big one. Some are like, they like Rebecca's idea about like the, the sort of, I don't know, contextual the anthology course, pack, course yeah. pack kind of idea. People, there's no consensus. So you, have, you were not helpful at all there, but we did, <laughs> we did learn that there is no consensus. So whatever way we decide not to do, because we're not doing this, is going to be right. Or at least won't be exactly totally wrong. Um,
0: you know what the irony here is that the likelihood of me reading lonesome dove has gone up now that i am not obligated to make a book club so episode. probably what's going to
1: happen is you will sort of read it you really need to read it in the summer we can't do this now anyway we've got a lot of time to talk about not how we're not going to do this we still got a lot of time to talk about how this is never going to happen into july and august but what you'll do probably is you'll sort you'll text me and say okay i'm starting it and then you'll be like god lonesome dove was great right and then i'm going to hit record i'm going to call you and hit record and we're going to go <laughs>
0: Fair. That's I'm just gonna my
1: takes in a holster, ready to shoot from the hip.
0: <laughs> takes in a holster. That's, that's great. That's <laughs> ready
1: to, ready to fire.
0: <laughs> I look forward to yeah, it.
1: Double barreled close reading. Also, just I'm just throwing show titles at you <laughs> oh, left it's and right. A beautiful it's dream. really, it's really great stuff. But thank you for your unhelpful feedback uh, about Lonesome Dove, everyone.
0: <laughs> you can send more to podcast at Riot. Yeah,
1: yeah, you can. You can. Thanks. I will ignore all of it happily, read and ignore all of your advice <laughs> for what we should do for the Lonesome Dove. Reelong. Okay. Let's do a sponsor break and come back and do other follow up that's not from listeners that we're going to ignore. Okay. Um, this happened. The day we recorded last week?
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah, the evening after the show was in.
1: So SNS, hot upon the heels of us recording, said they're going to refuse to distribute the book by the officer involved in Brianna Taylor's death, which was a title that was Post Hill Press, had announced. SNS claims they didn't know anything about it. I've seen some chatter. I'm not going to link into anything directly about that seems very unlikely for people who work in publishing, that Post Hill Press would just drop mm-hmm. this bomb of a news thing. It doesn't usually happen like that. Not to say it's impossible, but it would be unusual. We might be in the, the realm of the possible but not plausible in this kind of a situation. But that that news came the evening we recorded the show. We thought about going back and putting a header or anything on it, but I think people understand. We're live to tape here. You know, We tell you when we record so you know um, happening in real time. I guess, are you su- were you surprised to see A, the speed, B, at all
0: that this happened in this way? I was not really surprised to see it happen. Yeah. The online backlash against it was you know, swift and ferocious, as it should have been, mm-hmm. and I thought okay, I expect Simon & Schuster to do something about this, especially if they didn't know that this was coming. And I I think I've seen the same chatter or at least similar chatter mm-hmm. that you've seen of folks saying it would be really unusual for a distribution client not to tell Simon & Schuster about this big deal that they were going to make. And then again, maybe if you're trying to make a splash and do a Streisand effect, yeah. get a lot of attention for this gross book deal that you're making, this is a way to have achieved that um, in some fashion, especially given... Like, I don't know, my tinfoil hat is like halfway on at this point. Like, given the conversations on the right about cancel culture, if you're a small, super conservative press and you can set up a situation where it looks like big publishing tried to cancel you, you can maybe get some steam. Make
1: some stinky hay out of it. Yeah, great.
0: Yeah, the stinkiest hay. Um, So. I'm actually kind of surprised mm. that Simon & Schuster responded as quickly as they did just because of how big of an organization that is. And I assume that this required someone to review a contract mm. somewhere mm-hmm. and determine that it was a thing that could be done. And just knowing how expensive and sometimes right. slow-moving like corporate attorney situations can be, mm. I I thought that we would maybe get something like the story broke on a Thursday and I thought we would maybe get something by like Monday. Um, But I was really pleased to see that they responded so quickly. And I had a moment of like, Oh, and now we know you can respond that quickly. So
1: the letter was really interesting um, about it to the public, mm -hmm. really um, about how it's an unusual circumstance. They don't want to get in the habit of doing this, which I thought was maybe the most forward looking kind of signal about, what they can and can't do or what they can and can't commit to. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's one of the situations where the generous reading, I mean, it's, it's hard. I think it's probably both hard and usually a mistake too often to give companies the generous reading. Mm-hmm. But if you did that, it is, this is a new world. And these existing structures that have been built up over time, which may or may not directly enforce systemic bias and racism, misogyny and, and and other kinds of bias can be used to do so, even if they're not sort of built with that in mind and hiding behind our distribution agreement or whatever mm-hmm. that is, is going to have to cause people to think about one of it's almost, it reminds me of the NDA as a structure, right? There is a world yeah. in which the NDA is useful, but does the, the cost outweigh the benefits of what the NDA, the, the kind of bad behavior the NDA, NDA can cover up? or, and, and knowing you can get someone to sign an NDA kind of authorizes behavior, right? Because you know, a lot of it can be cleaned up down the road. That, that if we're going to agree that, that a publisher doesn't have plausible deniability for quote, unquote, ownership of a title anymore, you can't just say anymore, well, we just distribute that. If that's no longer, your hands are not clean after that attempted washing. That's a new thing in the world of books and reading.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think you're right that, that, nugget about we don't like basically we we don't think this is a thing we're going to do very often is telling. And that is a piece that it looks like folks are continuing to push on. There's a campaign circulating largely on Instagram um, this week that includes several demands. One of which is that publishers, including Simon and Schuster examine all of their distribution, like clients like currently re-examine all of their existing distribution clients and then have ongoing efforts to evaluate Mm -hmm. them and root out anything that supports any of these, you know, systems of oppression and I support the notion and also have no idea how a huge publisher goes about actually executing that on any time frame that is satisfying Mm -hmm. um I I think it's many steps over a long road. And this is a first step. It's an important first step, a publisher actually refusing. This is the first time I've heard about something like this on this scale Mm -hmm. of a big publisher refusing to distribute a title from one of its distribution clients. And if anybody listening knows of other examples, I would really be interested in those. So you can shoot those to us. Yeah an email. That seems meaningful. And also like the folks inside Simon and Schuster running the show, there are anticipating that there may be, more of these we don't know what other kinds of book deals they might be working on i would love to be a fly on the wall like at the other big publishing houses are the folks at prh also concerned about well they better be because they're buying books. simon yeah. and schuster yeah.
1: this is their problem
0: <laughs> well yeah that's right that's <laughs> true um but what like what kind of distribution clients yeah. do they have prh right. has a ton of distribution clients what kind of books do they publish what um what surprise might get dropped on them so i was You know, happy to see the response that I think is the correct response of we don't want to be involved in putting this book into the world. You know, the next step that folks are asking for is Simon and Schuster to cancel its entire relationship um, with Post Hill Press. And it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. We can get into Mm -hmm. the details of that in a little bit. But I I think that this is a common feeling in activism work is this is a little bit of progress And by nature of being a little bit, it doesn't feel fully satisfying. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the full change that we all wish to see in this industry or in the world. And I also don't want to let it go that it was progress still. This is meaningful that a large publisher has made this decision. And now we all know that they can make a change to their contract like that. And they can do it within 24 hours of the question coming out or the problem being raised. And that's a thing that Simon and Schuster's employees are not going to forget. It's a thing that critics mm-hmm. are not going to forget. That's, and I don't know, I hope, you know, that they considered that this is a thing that they have now revealed right. <laughs> to, to the world that this is available um, as an option. These things can be changed and it'll really be interesting to see where it goes from here.
1: Yeah. And you know, that account accountability is an interesting phrase that's been, Talked about, especially in the light of you know justice versus accountability, and the the George Floyd case that came down this week too. I think it's hard to know, but does this particular case how much was it influenced by its relationship to the end of the George Floyd case? I think is interesting. Also, in the context of Simon and Schuster, we'll get to this topic here in a little bit too. Simon Schuster signing a deal with Mike Pence, right? Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you've got a, you know you've got multiple things here. I think on its own. It's worth. This was worthy of backlash, criticism, critique, action mm-hmm. on the part of Simon Schuster's. But it felt like this boiling water was poured into an already scalding vessel over the last ten days or so, and that matters. That's how things get done. Is that the environment is right and ready? Mm-hmm. And this happened with such speed. It feels like. Simon and Schuster not just felt pressured into doing it, but they kind of wanted to do it. That's the other thing I yeah, read into the speed. I think so. Um, mm-hmm. a little, And I don't know if that's fair, but to turn around that quick, you can't turn around that quick and get through the legal and the but, um, but what about-ism okay. stuff right. that would mm-hmm. be done internally if people didn't actually want to do it. I don't know if that's fair to you or does that resonate? Yeah, all
0: I, I think that's fair. And I think it goes back to, we talked about this last week a little bit, the rising social and public accountability mm-hmm. for platforms in general of what they allow and enable to be put out into the world. And in the same way that we saw like Facebook and Twitter start to block or remove certain types of content and implicitly acknowledge that they have some accountability and some responsibility for the information that they enable out into the world. Mm-hmm. I think Simon & Schuster is saying that I think that's built in here, even though they haven't said it in that way of we don't want to be part of... Yeah. Putting this book out into the world we don't want to be part of this guy getting a platform we're you know this is what part of that accountability looks like and that distinction between justice and accountability is really useful here because i think what we're pushing for is a world that uh, within publishing looks just Mm -hmm. and in which people don't people are not rewarded with giant book deals for doing things like killing a black woman who's just asleep in her mm-hmm. own home and publishers don't profit off of helping to distribute books like that. Um, and we we don't live in that world yet, but this is a step in that direction.
1: Yeah. Or you know, at the very least, it's no longer tenable for a big five publisher to hide, to hide, be protected by whatever passive mm-hmm. voice you want to use a right. screen of, we're just a distributor because I think people realize that the system is the problem and the distribution feels like a new sort of like a neutral conduit of like moving X unit of widget from A to B, but we know it's not not. because you control those pipelines and what goes in them matters. Ergo, Mm -hmm. you know, it's your responsibility to keep the pipes clean, at least in far as you're willing to do it and want to do it and can afford to do it. How lucrative are these distribution deals? That's one thing I haven't seen. Like, what if Post Hill Press decide, you know, we're walking tomorrow? Does it make a difference? Does it? Like, how important are these distribution deals to the Big Five publishers or other major publishers that do have distribution deals? If they just walked away from them all and say, you know what, we don't want, we're in the worst of both worlds here because we don't get most of the money from publishing the books, but we take all the heat, right? Right. So why do this? That would be the question I'd be asking today if I was in mm-hmm. charge of a publisher that had distribution deals with that doesn't have editorial or like publicity or other, any kind of control or say in what books are going to flow through the pipes. Why am I just letting people do whatever? Because I'm making, I'm not making as much as the publisher and I'm getting more, if not, if not, I'm getting as much, if not more heat from the public because I'm a bigger name yeah. and I got a bigger placard and they've heard of Simon and Schuster, not post till press before.
0: Right. If we have a birdie, I would be yeah. super interested in like, what percentage of Simon & Schuster's revenue or any of the big publishers' revenue is from these mm-hmm. distribution deals?
1: Yeah. Anyway, so uh, let's take another break because we've got more <laughs> more Simon & Schuster <laughs> stuff to do uh, as it relates to especially to this, but also to the, the Pence book deals. My timeline for this is a little wonky. Tell me if I'm right. I think, so there's a petition from employees at Simon & Schuster Mm-hmm. that's centrally about Mike P- the Mike Pence book deal. Um, that yes. came after. It did come after yes. Simon Schuster says we're not doing the the uh, the the, right. the this other one, the Post Hill yeah, Press. So book.
0: Simon and Schuster last Thursday uh. evening said that they were not going to publish. They were not going to distribute the that one Post Hill Press book by the officer involved in the murder of Brianna mm-hmm. Taylor. So on the heels of that decision, um, a. A letter from the workforce of Simon & Schuster came out, I think it came out on the the 19th or the 20th earlier this week, um, protesting the entire deal with Post Hill Press, asking that Simon & Schuster stop the distribution deal completely, Mm -hmm. um, and then also demanding that they cancel Mike Pence's book deal. Mm -hmm. So that... <clears throat> Sorry, we have a piece from Kirkus um, by Michael Schaub that came out on April twentieth, sort of highlighting the arguments made uh, in that letter from Simon and Schuster employees. There. Yeah. So yeah, that happened, and then
1: we we don't know. It's interesting. I've specul. Of late, I've said multiple times, both on this show and frankly in private conversations we have had around work and in other situations about how. I sort of think that rank and file publishing employees, at least of the you know middle tier and up, I don't, I can't say about smaller publishers because you sort of get niche and you know I, I don't, I don't have better, I don't have a good sense of that. Probably have a similar worldview to us when it comes to the world mm-hmm. of books and reading. They've been around, you know, if, if you're 20s up into your early 40s, you've been around in the world of the internet of books and reading that we've been in over the last 10 years. We've been a part of that conversation. We've been covering it. We've been responding to it in our own way. You know, it's part of the thing. It's probably something you care about as well as this point. And I think Simon and Schuster pulling the Post Hill Press book and this employee petition are exhibits what N through M of that <laughs> theory, right? Like this is the kind of thing you would see if that hypothesis is true. Because I don't know what percentage of Simon and Schuster employees this represents. How many are going to sign them? Like, there's a there's a bunch of like logistical things that are strange about this, and I'm not interested in that because I don't have skin in the game of actually being a Simon and Susher employee. But I think the other thing that's really changed, and we've seen it multiple times. We saw it with the Woody Allen biography. We've seen some mm-hmm. other stuff. I think this Blake Bailey thing, maybe it was on its face, we're going to talk about in a minute, is a kind of a similar situation as well. Where constituent one for a company anymore and this is outside this is an excess of the of publishing. I think this is so true in so many companies now, I think it's true in our company. Mm -hmm. That constituent one is your employees. I agree. And that is, if that's the case, then this is the kind of thing you would see happening out of it, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting. I think that's important. I think there is a moral de facto unionization kind of happening in publishing at this point, which is fascinating to me to see.
0: Yeah, I think that's a moral unionization is a great way to put it because that does seem to be what we're seeing or the pattern, at least that's developing after the walkout over Mm -hmm. the Woody Allen title, which was also at Simon and Schuster. And it's interesting that they didn't pick up that technique again, like on the day that Simon and Schuster employees planned to walk out, I got out of office responses from folks at Simon and Schuster that I have contact with that Mm -hmm. were like, you know, I'm out of office this afternoon. I'm walking out in protest of the Woody Allen memoir. Um, so it's an open letter. It's signed by the workforce of Simon & Schuster, but there aren't individual names attached. Which there could be three so signatures questions. or
1: 5,000. Like, I really don't know right. at this point. Yeah, It's hard to know how much and, juice it's got.
0: And if Right. And if there were 5,000, you would want that mm-hmm. because it would be really powerful. But the fact that they didn't reveal it doesn't mean there's not 5,000 and only three. You like, there, there are just so many questions about it. But I do think that we're seeing that, that... Publishers have responded or Simon & Schuster has had to respond from pressure from its own employees about the work they're being asked to do functionally. And, you know, not everybody at Simon & Schuster has to work on a Mike Pence book, um, but they're all getting paid with funds you know potentially impacted by those kinds of book deals it's all going into the company's coffers and it's it matters that your employees trust you and and feel good about company values mm-hmm. and i think that's fundamentally what this is that publishing has hid for a very long time behind these statements about you know we value free exchange of ideas and that's the reason that we're publishing this book full of harmful ideas about people or a group of people or mm. how human beings should be treated or should interact with each other. But but we're just a platform. And if you are acknowledging that you're not just a platform, then you're allowing this crumbling to happen and it should be happening, I think. Um, but the employees are very, I think, rightfully seeing, all right, well, if we're not just a platform and we don't want responsibility for distributing this other book, what else can we ask our company not to be responsible for being a party to? And the Mike Pence book deal, is a timely and ripe example.
1: Yeah. The letter, so I think if you're interested, there'll be a link in the show notes of both of them. The mm-hmm. petition from Simon & Schuster employee, we don't know. There could, this could be one person, right? I mean, again, this is one of the the difficult parts of sort of employee mobilization because you're at risk of getting fired and there's other right. legal things that go on. One of the uses of a unionization is you get a shield from like direct retribution. Um the letter Jonathan Carp, who is the president and chief executive of- officer of Simon Schuster, released on looks like this was Tuesday, mm-hmm. saying we're not we're not going to undo the Mike Pence deal, um, but we did undo the Post Hill Press deal, and it's an interesting trying to middle those right that yeah. you know it's an interesting management situation. I was looking at this as a as a manager myself, like boy, I think. If you were reading the room about your own workforce correctly, you would not be reacting to the Mike Pence acquisition. It sounds like they're react they did a, it sounds like there was a town hall after the deal was mm-hmm. announced, and then the petition, and then there's a response. One of my critiques here is the Mike Pence book is a weird case, and we've talked about that before. It's a difficult case in a lot of different ways, and we can talk about that if we want to but I think you should have known it was going to be a difficult case no matter what you were going to do. I think that's the part I'm most surprised by is (laughs) they seem unprepared to handle people saying, wait, what the hell are we doing with this book?
0: Yeah, it's, I was telling a friend earlier that short of a world in which all the big five get together and decide mutually, we're not going to publish books by these people. Vice presidents
1: of the United States. It's, I mean, you have to say it. I mean, it's germane.
0: It's, 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 Even if the big five agreed to that principle, it's really difficult to imagine a world where a book by a former vice president is not newsworthy. Mm -hmm. And like there was part of my business brain was like, well, if Simon and Schuster drops him, PRH or Harper Collins are going to pick him up. Like somebody is going to make money on this. And I wish that that weren't true. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe getting dropped by Simon & Schuster because of pressure from inside would signal to other big publishers, hey, this is not worth it. Mm. Um, And I do think the Mike Pence one is a tricky situation because he's not just like a run-of-the-mill Trump administration lackey who's writing a memoir. This is not a Kellyanne Conway to memoir book deal. We are talking about the vice Mm -hmm. president and that is a, that's newsworthy and I hate it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think, I think that's true. And I think you're right that, the CEO of Simon and Schuster really misread the room by being like, you know, we we canceled that one, we're not doing that one deal with Post Hill Press, but we have an obligation to our clients. We're gonna keep those. So I, I think he's probably also seen some of the other demands that are circulating yeah. of like reevaluate all of our you know, all of our distribution clients and all of the titles they publish. And this implicitly says, no. And then there's I think the worst part of this letter That's pretty insulting is actually, he says, a few years ago when we were considering, I know, when we were considering a book project by an esteemed political leader, she described the story of America as, quote, two steps forward, one step back. For those who think some of our titles are a step backwards, let's appreciate the many Simon and Schuster books that are taking us two steps forward. Let's also acknowledge that we don't agree on which titles are taking us forward and backward. That tension, that push and pull is a healthy part of the dialectic provided by classically liberal publishing companies. And, you know, I agree with some of that. I think that healthy dialogue and a push and pull is part of a healthy democracy. And it's also not something that we've seen in our democracy for the last, I don't know, six years at least. Um, We haven't had a lot of reasonable, actual policy-based argument coming out of the right. But that notion of two steps forward, one step back also seems to... He seems to kind of agree here. Mike Pence is... The Mike Pence book deal is one step back. But let's just ignore that because some of the work we do is two steps forward. Like some days we hug people and lift them up. And other days we make them bleed. For every two hugs, to... we get
1: to slap you in the face once.
0: Right. So let's just forget about the slapping. Right. Because sometimes Or that's just the people. cost of the hugs. Yeah. And... I think I get, I, I mean, I see where he's trying to go here. Right. I would be very upset to receive a letter like this from my employer. I, I think that framework mm-hmm. around it is very insulting. Of you should feel fine about these things, or you should at least accept these things that you find abhorrent because we also do some good things. It's like the publishing version of Some of My Best Friends Are Black. Like... <laughs> I just did this racist thing, but I also am nice sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's just very tone deaf. And I think they, I think reveals a failure of imagination that they did not consider what their employees were going to have to say about the Mike Pence book deal or that the like reading public at large to whatever degree readers have been paying attention to and responding to this would care. Yeah. yeah, it, it also just doesn't
1: feel like the truth somehow. Like right. it feels like...
0: <laughs> right. It, it,
1: again, in, in my experience, telling the truth for your reasoning, conveyed reasonably and at the right time, can go a long way. Because I've said this before on the show. I, If I'm Simon Schuster, I was talking to uh, Amanda, one of our coworkers, about mm-hmm. this issue the other day, and we were talking about it from several different angles because I think we're both wrestling with this. World historical... Events, world historical right. person, this feels like the kind of thing that's going it's, to, it's all the historical record. It's fair game for historical record, and you know it just is going to be what it is. Now, maybe someone else will publish it. Does that then authorize you to do it? I don't know. The, I'm not a publisher. I don't know. This is what it came down to for me. Say Book Riot had its own colophon, its own imprint. Hmm. I couldn't look at a Mike Pence book with that colophon on it. I couldn't look. No. I, there's no way I could do it. So that, that tells you something about me. I mean, I, that's where I would be. I, I could see no way I could do this myself. My job's not on the line for this, though. I don't, I don't know what their situation is here. I think it would have been helpful to get out ahead of this and say, it's been a very tumultuous four years. We're all dealing with this. There's a lot of work to be done in a lot of ways. The goal of our company is to be involved in the production and dissemination of major texts." that have world, national and world import. Mm-hmm. That's what this book is. At least we think by being as part of the process, we can see it to publication a way we feel good about. And that also I would say, it's a big deal for our company to get this book. And then you gotta let the ch- chips fall where they may. There, What else is there to say? I don't know what else you can say. It's
0: giving people credit to understand something like that. It would have been a great move. Yeah. Here, and I'm not
1: saying it would have worked, but it's better than this.
0: But it's better. It's better than this. And I think this also, this letter reveals the like the gap between this letter and the letter from Simon & Schuster's workforce. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of light between those yes. two things. And it seems that there is not alignment on what the values or like the mission mm-hmm. of Simon & Schuster are. And... I think that's where the work really is for these publishing companies now where the the classically liberal publishing companies, the model of that, your staff... At least to some degree, are pushing for a redefinition mm-hmm. of what does it mean to be a publishing company. What is the discourse that a publishing company wants? Like, yeah, we don't want to be classically liberal.
1: In. We want to be cr- newly progressive. Is kind of what the employees right. seem to like, be saying, right? Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. What is the discourse that we want to participate in, and support, and enable, and be a part of? Mm-hmm. And staff are not agreeing yeah. that this is valuable. And you know, Book Riot, I think it's an interesting example. I agree. Like we. I would not feel good about a Mike Pence book with a Book right Colophon on it. And also, we couldn't publish a Mike Pence book with a Book right Colophon on it without violating the community guidelines that we've agreed on from day one that are posted on our site and that our staff and our contributors are held to. And having everyone who touches anything we make understand those and understand, like, you don't even have to agree with these, but the work you do has to align with them. Matters and also provides a useful framework, and I think Simon and Schuster has some work to do there. Uh, and you know, I want to acknowledge we're a, a staff of fifteen yes, people, so it's a lot easier. Yeah, way, no, I acknowledge <laughs> it's that a lot too. To it's, do yeah, that. it's way easier to and, do. Yeah, it's way easier for us to do that, and because our values are what they are, people self-select in mm. as contributors as well, who largely align with those.
1: But we're also not so a player for Mike Pence's book, and Simon right, and Schuster is, and with a, those yes. stakes comes that responsibility, and those, you know. And
0: And it's you know hard if there's not a written statement of what Mm -hmm. the company's values are to be a leader in that position and have anything to point to other than this is how we've always done it. And it seems that that's what he's falling back on is like, well, this is what publishing has always done. We have always published books on both sides of the aisle Mm -hmm. or all along the political spectrum. This one is certainly newsworthy. He's the former vice president of the United States. We're going to do it. And I think it's still not going to go down well mm-hmm. for a lot of folks. They're still not going to be happy that Simon & Schuster is doing this, that they have to see this happen at their employer, but they might feel a little bit less gross about it if it were somehow grounded in what a shared understanding of the company's values
1: are. Yeah, you'd almost have to frame it like you're a history book. Like we have to include history, even mm-hmm. if it's ugly. The profitability, the profiting part from it and the the, the enrichment of the person is tough. I yeah. I don't... In my um, crisis management language crafting brain, I don't have a sentence that helps me with that. What's interesting is, at least in Jonathan Carp's mind, in this letter, somewhere between the, the Brianna, the officer that killed Brianna Taylor, and Mike Pence is the line. Mm-hmm. That negotiation of the line is very difficult. I think if that's if there is if that's where the line is, is somewhere between there. I don't know. It's very hard to say because the, Mike Pence has championed legislation and policies that it's very difficult not to, from my point of view, not to say really put people in danger, that marginalized mm-hmm. people in danger. How do you swallow that and put the book out? I, I don't think I could do it. Can someone else, if someone else can do it, I think the book is going to be out there it probably should quote unquote be out there. Like we need these documents. We need people on the record. Like we need, we need this stuff to happen. Do you need to make $6 million off of it? Does it need to be you? So right. what if he publishes on Kindle? So what? It'll still be out there. I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of the harder ones I've, I've felt like Rebecca, because if it's Mike, if mm-hmm. it's a junior Congress person from Iowa, right. I'm like, get out. I don't want any, I mean, I right. really have no tolerance, but it's the, the truth of the matter is, is, the country elected these guys. That is true. The record of them is important. But as a private corporation, do you, quote unquote, have to be in that game? I guess I'm leaning no. I really am leaning yeah. no. Let someone I'm, else, so someone else is gonna get the money. Let, let someone else yeah. pass the buck. Let's shame, whatever it is. Let's, can, can we give some cultural signals for those of us with power to say, no, we're not going to do, do this. The, this is not a healthy push and pull. You know who's on the other side of this rope? It's not internal at Simon & Schuster. The other end of this rope is OAN, One America News. Mm-hmm. They're the pulling. We're pu- I don't need to pull and pull the rope. They're the ones pulling. I got to push. That's our job is to push here. So like, yeah. uh, this w- we have to be both sides. It's like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. The push and pull is America, not you. Right. Anyway, now I'm heated up.
0: Rightfully so. You know, I think it's really easy to lose sight of the fact that each individual instance of a decision like this really matters when you're sitting at the top Mm -hmm. of a company as big as Simon & Schuster. And you have a long history of books by people who did things that people really objected to. And you published those. Right. And you feel fine about it. Or at least, like, nothing bad happened to your company about it. And I think maybe... That's also a misreading of this moment by leaders in these kinds of companies is maybe you do have a history of having, I guess, functionally gotten away with it, Mm. but what you're, what we're seeing now is the people who work for you, who enable you to put these books out, are no longer going to cooperate, or they're at least going to make it really difficult for Mm. you, and you need to pay attention to that. That's an important signal. And I would love to see a world where the folks at the top of the big five all agree we are not giving platform. We're not giving airtime to people who have furthered these kinds of policies. We don't want to pay them Mm -hmm. and reward them for that kind of work or for that kind of speech. That's not censorship. We just don't want to be part of it. We
1: don't want to be in that business. We We don't want that product. We'll take a pass on that. Right and you know the if uh, who, uh who's next mcmillan if they had signed it they would have got the same heat yep is it worth it i mean i don't know maybe the older school publishers or maybe some people in publishing or large, really are they, they have a sort of um maybe they have a different kind of underst it's clearly they have a different kind of understanding than i do that there's there's their political beliefs right and then there's what the company does and they're related but different, maybe. I think yeah. And he- we don't operate quite like that. I mean, we have you right. know more alignment with our personal political beliefs generally than than maybe a lot of people are afforded because we have a lot of say over the particular company. But I'm also sympathetic to the case of does everyone at Simon and Schuster have to agree with everything every Simon and Schuster author says? No, because that's also not the truth. But then where's the? That's where it's tricky. It feels like. This is trying to say, well, you know, well, you know, two steps back, one more forwards. Like, like if we're going to publish stuff that you don't that. disagree with. Get used to it. I mean, maybe there's that straight yeah. talk like that. I don't know.
0: <laughs> maybe. And you know, I think also that most folks have more nuanced understanding of that. I'm sure that if you're a progressive employee at Simon and Schuster, this is not the first book no. that your employer has published that you've disagreed with, and that you've understood that to some degree that tension is part of the deal, that it's publishers exist to make money and they provide value to their shareholders. Yeah. And part of doing that is profiting off of the conservative end of the political spectrum also, even though publishing tends to be dominated by the liberal end yeah. of the spectrum. Right. Like, folks have held that tension. That's just part of mm-hmm. being in the industry. It's notable that this is the breaking point, yeah. you know, and I I am really just... Dis- Talk about A/B testing the universe. Like I'm very curious because when Simon and Schuster dropped Woody Allen, he didn't get picked up by was another. It, was it Simon he Schuster? He got picked up. Yeah. Okay,
1: I'm confused. Um,
0: he, yeah, he. Skyhorse picked, picked him picked up. I thought it was Hachette, yes, but I Sky, could be confused. It doesn't matter. A big Sky five, horse. whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He couldn't get picked up by another big five. He got picked up by a small imprint that does that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And I suspect that that is not what would have happened with somebody like the vice president of the United right. States. Like my, my guess. Someone's here that. to catch this one hot of, potato. Yeah, Right. One of the other big five would have gotten it. It's also, it's a different kind of hot potato than mm. the Woody Allen hot potato of grossness. All of these are disgusting potatoes, yeah. but of different flavors. And that's That does require a... That's We're really talking about systems. It requires a systemic change in the industry and structural decision-making by the people who have the kinds of power to make that decision not only within their company, but to have either some kind of example that gets set and places pressure on other publishers then not to pick up the gross mm-hmm. thing. yeah, Or an agreement among folks across companies that we're going to move in a new direction yeah. and this is that kind of push this is like you know the thing that the employees are pushing for and i think the th- thing that part of the reading community is pushing for as well yeah
1: it's interesting too to think about again um we could also say uh the the name of this podcast could be called that's not censorship right and we just point to everything <laughs> we've seen because you know people are going to do that thing and like censorship this is the marketplace of ideas at work these kinds of mm-hmm. discussions these kinds of difficult hairy ugly Uglies, I don't think it's gotten ugly. I think just very fraught, right? This is Simon & Schuster with its employees, with the marketplace, jerks like us on the internet, sort of trying to figure out what we are interested in buying, so to speak, and selling, really. Like, how, how, how are we going to be involved in this? And we've talked about this many times going back really to the beginning of the show of a cognitive dissonance in for-profit, for-profit publishers saying, performing a social good right that this is what we do we make ideas <laughs> we we <we're, laughs> well the the underlying thing we 've also said is that reading and books aren 't neutral there is no there is no there's no neutral place to go here like the, the you can 't be neutral the great you know thing that says you are taking a position, even if it feels like you 're not taking a position right. by by trying to retreat to the high ground of Books and information into the world is an aggregate good. Suggests that you have no authority, no ability, no discernment, no taste to decide what you then do because you might as well do it all then because it all matters. What? And now it's just what's going to make you the most money. That's right. what it is. It also
0: assumes that all ideas are beneficial right. and support progress yeah. of, to whatever uh, your version of a good world looks like. Yeah. And that can't be true. It can't be true. Whatever, whatever your vision of the world is, right. it cannot be true that all ideas support it right. and are good for furthering that goal. Well, and,
1: and if it does, it means you can't decide. You, don't, you shouldn't have editors. Right. You shouldn't do any. You just have to right. put it out there, and you're deciding, I guess, what you think is going to make the most money. Which, that's mm-hmm. not what they say. That's why I sort of like putting higher on the, the, the Maslow's hierarchy of apology letters. Um, <laughs> money. Uh-huh. Like, and I, and may, maybe people will then crack on them for that too. I'm sure people crack on everyone for anything, but like, this is an important book that aligns with what we do as a business, be a significant financial situation, you know, a significant financial part of what we do next year. Um And then you've got to live with the people who don't agree with you. And some of them, you sign their paychecks. Yeah. I, I think that's the only way you, you can do it. Um And, but you, I think clearly too, the other thing that's happened here is like, Again, assuming that there is a meaningful number of Simon Schuster employees who, who really hate this, which I would imagine there are, you don't have any trust with them. You haven't earned any brownie points right. that you can then spend saying, you know, I know what you guys think. I know I'm on the other side of this line than you of feeling like what's damaging, what's aligned with our mission, and what aligns with our company to continue to operate. You're on the other side of the line. I'm on one side of the line. And we're going to constantly have to negotiate that line together. That's all you can say. Um, all right let's do our our last sponsor here well should we go to the way other side of the line (laughs)
0: let's
1: i mean what a story to break (laughs) uh uh, oh i'm I'm going to something else i'm it's not on here
0: oh blake bailey oh yeah i saw that this morning okay
1: Uh, I I think we have to do a little bit of a content warning here. I I feel, I feel like I should here to say that, um, we're going to talk about Blake Bailey being dropped by Norton and his biography of Philip Roth immediately being pulled from shipping and selling by Norton. Um, and it's related to, um, sexual sexual assault, assault, rape and misconduct. So I think this will be our last segment for the day. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for listening. Um, Sorry to have to do this at the end, but we have to cover this story. It, if what we do, it's an important story to cover. Uh, you can find links at bookwright.com slash listen. Go into the giveaway. Give us feedback about how you would like to hear us not do Lonesome Dove sometime in the future. over there. <laughs> Blake Bailey, who has come to prominence as a literary biographer and has been working on a recently published Philip Roth biography for a number of years, maybe like a decade or something like that and was positioned to write the authoritative Roth biography. Um, I was planning on reading this someday. Maybe I was going to read that Hermione Lee's Tom Stoppard biography that's 800 pages, you know, in the someday maybe. Maybe maybe just lay lay those books on my grave, and I'll get to them when I'm dead. Um, came out this week after it sounds like some time of rumblings of people who've had a bad experience with Blake Bailey, of a numerous, numerous... Bad behaviors, felonious behaviors. If the allegations are true, mm-hmm. yeah, that that range from the. I mean, his first statement was, "I did things that were deplorable, but not illegal." That's where we started with this journey a couple days ago, <sighs> and yesterday it turned into we we got people, women going on the record saying, "I was raped by Blake Bailey at Dwight Garner's house." Did you see that detail? No. Over a long weekend, we were both saying there, like it's really sorted in the publishing world. Dwight Garner, if you don't know, is a critic and author, um, and I don't, I can't Jeez. remember whose names his. I'll, I'll put the links if you want to go see. I don't want to say the names if they haven't been officially confirmed or anything here on the, on the women's side. I want to be very mm-hmm. careful about that. But I'll put the links in there and you can go find for yourself. And Norton pulled the book. We're we're done with this, and mm-hmm. apparently. This allegation, specifically the most serious one, is something that this person told Norton about before the book came out. Oh. It's a very distressing story. Um, I guess one thing we've said before, all the way going back to our first, the first time Me Too entered into the world of books and reading, that we are going to hear more of these. It's going to take a long time. And maybe we would never be done in sort of on the, the time frame that we're mm-hmm. dealing with. I guess I found myself surprised again. Blake Lively is someone you know. I used to follow on Twitter when I did Twitter. A serious, quote unquote, you know, uh, independent literary historian. Um, I don't know. It's it's out there. You're going to see things about it. It's not. It's not. It's it's grosser and as it were. It's it's more clear that this was the right thing to do, um, but it's another one. And I'm not sure maybe, maybe I felt there was more to say about it's, it, but now I'm at the end of the, the sort of recap and yeah. I'm like, I don't know where else to go with it. So maybe I don't know what else I thought was interesting. It's, I about mean, it's,
0: I, it's one of the really, I think one of the clearer yeah. moments right. of this really should have happened. These are, as the Norton statement says, these are serious allegations. Mm-hmm. These are criminal mm-hmm. allegations, awful. The details of these are awful. Um, it's, I mean, I hope this is prompting a conversation inside Norton and inside other publishing houses about what you do if a person comes to you and reports that they were raped by an author that you are publishing. Uh Um, Because there is note, as you mentioned in this piece, that prompted by the growing Me Too movement. um, Let's see. The event, one one of the rapes was alleged in, 2015. And this is three years later, about three years later, so late 2017, early 2018-ish, prompted by the growing Me Too movement, um, one of the victims wrote an email to Julia Reedhead, who's the president of Norton, accusing Blake Bailey of non-consensual sex. And she also emailed a New York Times reporter who responded. Um, and that's, you know, probably where the New York Times started picking mm. up this thread of investigation. Um, did Norton investigate? at all? Did they respond to her at all? Do they have an internal policy or a system of what you do? Yeah. When this happens like when Me Too was first starting I don't think many if any publishers had mechanisms in place to investigate allegations like this and then make decisions about what to do. So, and, and they appear still not to. Sun's pretty high in the sky to not
1: like, have one at this point to me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're, yeah. but what's
0: happening now is that the allegations have to come out in the New York yeah, times right. before Norton says like it, it requires a New York times level investigation before a publisher has at mm-hmm. least publicly reexamined or removed the contract from that author. And I hope there are some conversations happening about that, about why victims of sexual assault may choose not to go to the police. Mm. And one of the women in this piece talks about deciding not to report it. There are very many reasons that victims do not report rape, but why they may reach out to other people in power as a heads up, as a, you might want to know this about this person, as a, this person did me, wrong and you're in business with them, like whatever this victim's intention was, and frankly it doesn't matter what she was trying to achieve and letting them know this, I think Norton has a responsibility. Any publisher would have a responsibility to investigate. Yeah. And hopefully to have made a decision sooner about this. We shouldn't be at this moment of this book deal where this decision is finally being made.
1: Yeah, and 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 I, I don't know, you know, what kind of like you say, what what they did, um when they got the, the email, presumably they did something and whatever they did, they decided it wasn't enough to not proceed, which I guess it's plausible that that was a responsible move. It's hard to imagine a world in, in which it was, you know, maybe you know if people are being silent and you get one anonymous accusation, what do you do next? I don't think is difficult, but I think it's required, and I don't have a good answer yeah. for what the right investigation thing, especially if these are distributed women over many. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff here. I don't some even of them get were into in middle yeah. Some of this stuff, I really don't want to think about that much. Mm-mm. If it, I mean, I really don't want to think about it at all. But in thinking about this, do you put out a call? Do you do a background check? Like, what what is? I mean, this is a high profile book, a significant investment that happened over lots of time you have some sort of like due diligence responsibility just to cover your own ass. Forget about the moral situation, which you shouldn't, but but you don't even get to that Mm -hmm. point because I'm sure Norton's going to take a bath on this now. Public relations wise, the other thing, like this can't have been the right thing to do just from a operations point of view. It doesn't seem like
0: further down in this piece there is a statement from a Norton spokeswoman who says we took this allegation very seriously we were aware that the allegation was also sent to two people at Mr. Bailey's former employer and to a reporter at the New York Times a news organization that was well equipped to look into it I think that's telling Um, And then we did take steps, including asking Mr. Bailey about the allegations, which he categorically denied. what's he going to... And we were were mindful of the sender's request for a guarantee of anonymity. Like, right, what else was he going to do? And and maybe this is all they're legally allowed to say. I'm Mm -hmm. sure that attorneys are all over Mm -hmm. anything that this spokesperson is allowed to release. But we did take steps, including asking him about the allegations. Like... When that is the only step that you're actually revealing here, what were the other Yeah, what, ones? Was, what was the
1: next thing you did? I mean, and I don't know. If you don't, if it's an anonymized person, again, I, I'm sure there are people that experts in this um, to, to, to track all this. I can see how you could plausibly get yourself into a way say, well, this is one person. We don't know their motives, blah, blah, blah. And Blake denies it. Your ang- you have an endowment effect, right? You know, this is our book, mm-hmm. this is our title. Um, but what is a best practice for this? Is there one? I don't know. I mean, if, if you out there know, like, from an HR point of view, from a company point of view, from a reporting point of view, like, how, how would a reporter go about doing this? You know, they, I guess they would contact especially women they know that have worked with Blake Bailey over time. Have you ever heard anything? Is there any other... Even if you don't have a specific story about yourself, have you heard? Have you felt? Like, is there any other secondary indicator here? Or is one email from someone anonymous enough? I don't know. Another very difficult situation to be in.
0: Yeah. And it seems to me that there is some middle ground between, like, you, you have more options than just, we're going to continue the process of publishing this person's book, or we're going to cancel everything outright yeah. because of this allegation. Like maybe we put things on pause and conduct mm. a big investigation and figure it out. Maybe if we're relying on the New York times being an organization that's well equipped to look into it, we don't do anything with Blake Bailey until the New York you times. Let the New
1: York times do your do, dust, mean, your uh, uh, bust, your dust as a, uh, as uh, I <laughs> Kathy Bates says in primary and, colors.
0: Yeah, I can't look away from that phrase in the statement yeah. that she also sent it to a reporter at the New York Times, a news organization that was well equipped to look into right. it. That seems meaningful. A lot of people worked on this statement, and that's the thing they decided was and, uh, important to say.
1: Yeah. And again, we, they haven't told us much. We don't know much. Um, but it's troubling that there was so many people have come forward in a variety of different contexts about their experience with Blake Bailey. Um and this is where we are. It's there's still work to be done, and the structures. It doesn't sound like the structures are still there, are there yet, right? Clearly, right. they're not. And just because you have a structure doesn't mean you're going to it's going to work all the time. Um, but it would be something else if Norton said, you know, what we did have a structure for looking into this. We we did A, B, and C, which was our best understanding of how to deal with something like this. We do not. I mean, clearly, one accusation is not enough for them to pull it because they didn't. They could have, but they didn't do. So this is what we need to see to end a relationship with an author. And here's what we did and we didn't see it. And you could say, and you know what? Clearly we missed it. We messed this up, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're going to take a hard look at how we get things about this in the future. We like to start an industry wide discussion about how we can have some sort of clearinghouse, or is there any other way in which people can tell us hard, true things that they need to tell us um, in a way that that is if not restorative, at least it doesn't make things worse, which this has. Oh boy. Well, I think that's it, Rebecca, Mm -hmm. for this week. Um, I hope next week we get to bring you gladder tidings from the world of books and reading. Um, But I think these discussions are in the direction of efforts we'd like to see succeeding largely. I don't know if we're in a Mm -hmm. two steps back and one step forward or vice versa situation here. Um, thank you as always for listening. You can find links, bookriot.com slash listen. You can email us podcast at bookriot.com. Get ready for field of dreams, put on hold, do whatever you gotta do here in a few weeks. And uh, I probably this is our last week of taking open calls for moms, dads, and grads. So get those into us before too long. Rebecca, thank you so much, and I'll talk to you next time.
0: Have a good one.